Matthew chapter 8. So we've got a really quick journey. We're going to go in really, uh, really shortly here. And we're going to end at uh, celebrating the Lord's Supper together. And so I just want to invite you on a little bit of, uh, this may be a little bit of a, a spiritual rewrite for you to think about your world differently. So we, we were talking about two weeks ago, we're in this series where we're talking about, is Jesus powerful enough, right? That he's, he's fully powerful and he empowers us fully. That's kind of the, the little thing we're talking about. And, and, and the angst of that, that is in me that kind of brought me to these texts that I would present to you and others will be presenting to you is, is when, when we're in the midst of our own daily lives and things aren't quite right, and maybe it's within ourselves or maybe it's our, our circumstances and we're just longing to see God work. And, and this question of, is Jesus powerful enough to work? Does he, is, is he able? Will he? And so we've been looking at creation the last couple of weeks and we will today as well. So two weeks ago, we talked about Jesus having the power to create. Last week, we talked about Jesus having the power to hold our world together, as Nate introduced us uh, with this morning. And then today, what we're going to look at is Jesus' this power over nature. Jesus having power over nature. And, and here's the big idea. And this is going to, what, what I'm inviting you to this morning is this sort of thinking about the world around you differently, such that you begin to see, and, and this is a little bit, for, for those of us that are modern or postmodern, this is a little bit hard, right? I mean, this is the generation we're in, where everything's pretty scientific, everything kind of makes sense. And what we're, what we're, what we're, I want to present to you this morning is that, that this is actually my father's world. This is Jesus' world. And, and the things that you encounter, even in nature, that, that Jesus is in control of those things, and that he's using those things, and you sort of have to have eyes to see it, but he's using the beauty of creation, that the things going on in creation, that he has power over that with the purpose of bringing you to himself. That, that's what he's always working to do. He's always working to bring you and others to himself, to bring you into a relationship. And I was remembering this time... I'm going to get on the floor. Don't let the dog get me. All right, Michael, don't let the dog get me. So I remember, was remembering this time. Uh, so I was actually, this is hard to believe, I was many of your age. So I was like 21. This is years ago. And I was on a, a Christian retreat in North Carolina. I was from Florida, went up to North Carolina, and we were sitting in this house. And at the house, there was a bicycle. And so I had some time, and so I just went for a bike ride. We were kind of in the mountains of North Carolina and went around a bend and into a valley, and there weren't houses around or anything. And I was, there, were, there was a lot going on in my life, and I'm, you know, I'm just seeking the Lord, and I'm asking him for help. I'm going, okay, kind of maybe this is my lifelong quest. Lord, are you going to show up, right? Is this real? And I... And I I got around this corner and I could, so this isn't as dangerous as it sounds, like old dirt road, and I felt like I could lay down on the ground. So I, I got off the bike, I laid down on the ground, so you can't see me in the back. So I laid down on the ground and I was praying. I was praying and I was praying and I'm seeing the sky and I could see trees. There was no reverberation like there is now, but... I could just see things, and I'm praying to the Lord, and, oh no, 
I was praying to the Lord, and these this leaf fell down, and I'm watching it from a long ways away, and then it I can't remember if it hit me in the face or it came close enough that I flinched. And it was one of those weird moments where I'm like, did anybody see that? Because that was really awkward. You know? And then I realized that this moment in time, nobody's around but me and the Lord. And, and, I, and it, it struck me that in that moment, for whatever purpose, like all of creation stood still. And, and in that moment, between me and the Lord, however the world was designed, and, and I want to go, okay, well, the wind blows leaves, and you know all, the, all these scientific things happen that makes a leaf come down and almost hit me. But, but in that moment in time, for that, that, that little bit, whatever God had done in all of creation, that little bit of view of creation... He had shared only with me and for the purpose that I would see him. And it was, it was like this overwhelming, crushing thought, right? That, that the Lord in that moment in kindness towards me would open up. He's opening up himself to me through sun and sky and, and leaves. And so I went from praying about the things that I had on my agenda so having some moments there, just sort of relishing in that relationship with the Lord. And, that, and that's what I want to present to you this morning. And that's what I think the, the, this text presents to us. It's a simple text, and we won't do much with it, but, I, but, but this is what I want you to see. So this is Matthew 8 and verse 23 through 27. Jesus calms a storm. And so this is Jesus with the disciples, and they're out on the boat. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But, but Jesus was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and sea obey him? When I, I read this passage, there's a lot of different ways to read this passage, and a lot of, a lot of different sermons have been preached on it. But, it. but one of the things I think about when I read this passage, so, so you know Jesus is omniscient, right? He knows everything. So you know when he goes to lay down, he knows what's going to happen, right? So I, I sort of read this passage like, um, like sort of a dad who kind of knows what's about to happen and might be a little bit smirky about it. Like, uh, you know, Jesus is out there. And what's Jesus' ultimate goal with these disciples? That they get to know him and get to know his kingdom. And, and, and Jesus is taking, and this is the point of the passage, right, uh, of, our, of our time together this morning. Jesus is taking everything he can in creation, and he's bringing it to this, this, these points in time that interact with people in order that they would get to know who he is and come into a relationship with him. And I just sort of imagine Jesus... Uh, you know, in the boat and everything's kind of calm and they didn't have weather apps, so they didn't know the storm was coming, right? They're not getting the beep, beep, beep alerts. And so these fishermen are out there on the boat and Jesus goes, oh man, I'm getting tired. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over here and just lay down, you know? And I just imagine him sort of doing it with a smirk, you know, like, 
I know something is about to happen that you guys don't know. And I, you know, maybe he was fully asleep, but I just sort of imagine him sort of just watching everybody, you know, like with one eye, like, and, and, and then the storm comes and the disciples freak out. And then they wake Jesus up and he goes, oh, there's a storm. What? I can't believe it. Oh, my goodness. And you guys are afraid of it. And he exerts his power in that moment. And the storm dissipates, right? God, God shows up. Jesus shows up. He, he, he doesn't calm the storm because he's afraid of it. I mean, that's not why Jesus calms storms. He calms the storm for the last line of the text, right? The last line of that paragraph we read, that's why he calms the storm. So that when he does it, the disciples go, what kind of a guy is this that can speak to storms and they cease? And this is one of the things we see about Jesus through the Gospels. Is Jesus is, is he's, he's teaching and he's doing these, you know, these, these little lessons with parables. And he's presenting himself and he's healing people. But, but when he comes in contact with nature and inanimate objects, he's taking them and he's transforming them into methodologies whereby they become bridges for people to get to know who he is and come into a relationship with him. So that's what you get. I mean, you can, you can go through the stories. You, there's tons of them. But you can, this is you know, Jesus' first miracle where he's at the party, and they drink all the wine. And uh, again, I mean, it's, they go, uh, Jesus, is, his mother comes to him, right? Jesus, they've run out of wine at the party. Oh, really? Oh, my goodness, I'm so surprised. Right? <laughs> Let's get some water. And he turns water into wine, right? And, and, and what happens? It's not, it apparently isn't a public ministry. Nobody knows about it except for Mary and the disciples. But they get this little glimpse that Jesus is something, he's someone different. But there's nothing special about water and wine. There's nothing special about a storm. There's nothing special about when he, he goes to heal the blind man and he spits in the mud and he kind of makes it into a ball and puts it on the guy's eyes. There, there's nothing special about spit and mud. But in that moment, he takes inanimate objects, objects of the world, objects of creation, and shows that he has power over them, but not just so that you can see that he has power over them, but so that you can see who he is, that he's a, he's a lover of, of bringing health to people and bringing life to people that he's working for that through every means that he can. You see it often, he, there's a lot of times that he uses the, the fishing experiences, right? He tells Peter to go catch the fish and there's a coin in its mouth. He, at the end of John, when, when Peter's broken over him falling away from the Lord, uh, he, as, a, as sort of a stranger on the beach, tells him to cast their net on the other side and they cast them and they catch all these fish and Peter realizes through that act that this is the Lord, right? But the, the, the punchline to, to God using creation is always people came to know that he was the Lord. And that's what he's doing even with us. And if we have eyes to see as we go through the world, as you look at clouds and look at the moon and look at the sky and you go for hikes in the mountains and and, and even in the simple things of inanimate objects you have around, if, if you look at those with transformed eyes, you begin to see they're all pointing to Jesus. And when we come to the Lord's table, the, the Lord's Supper, uh, it reminds us of that same fact because what happens is this God who desires that you know him sends his son Jesus 
And, and, and knowing that our sins have separated us from him, our sins have separated us from God, all the disappointments, all the, all the, the things we lack, all of our inabilities, all, all of our errors in life, all of our rebellion, God looks at that and, and, and knowing that our own works aren't going to get us back to him and knowing that uh, religion and, and keeping law isn't going to get us back to him, he sends his own son and there's this pathway by which one particular day, I mean, this is, this is sort of a little crazy when you think of how God uses inanimate objects. One particular day, some Romans make a cross out of tree timbers and they take Jesus and they take these nails and they nail him to the cross, nails through his hands, nails through his feet, and they nail him to the cross and he dies on a hill and God takes this wood from a cross and these nails from a tree, nails out of metal, and he transforms these inanimate objects into a method by which he brings salvation to the world and to me and to you and to the person sitting next to you and to the person in your dorm and to the, your family member that's at home sick right now and, and to the people you work with, that he, that he takes these inanimate objects and he takes the animate object, which is his own body, right? And this is what we get at Lord's Supper, right? Jesus says, I'm giving my body and it's broken for you. And, and the blood that's in my veins is poured out for your salvation. It's the new covenant. It's a new way to come come to the Lord. And it's the only way that's going to suffice. And, it, and it's all done in me. And it's nothing you have to do anymore. And God takes things of this world and he brings salvation to us through the person of Jesus. And then he takes a tomb, which was just some kind of a rock cave with a some kind of rock that could be re rolled in front of it. And, and the, the dead body of Christ is placed in that tomb, supposedly like anybody else that's ever buried forevermore to stay there and to rot away. But on the third day, when the ladies went to the tomb, the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty and Jesus had risen from the dead. And he died for your sins and he raised, was raised for your, for your justification and your righteousness to bring life to your dead bodies and my dead body. He brought life to us through these little inanimate objects. And he's still longing to do the same thing. And we want to invite you to celebrate the Lord's Supper with us today. And, and, and the pathway to that, we want to just have a time of prayer and a time of, to, to allow you to call out to the Lord. Some of you today need to call out to the Lord for salvation. You, you've heard the story and, and maybe you've been on the fence, but, but today you need to, to draw a line in the sand and say, Lord, I'm, I'm believing in Jesus. I'm believing that he died for my sins and that he, that he rose for me and that he's not only my Savior, but he's also my Lord. You need to confess that. And we want to have time to do that. Uh, we'll, we'll have this, this front open for prayer. You, one of the things the Bible commends to us is that we not take the taking of the Lord's Supper uh, casually, basically. It, it, the idea is that we don't, that we don't take it flippantly. 
that we take it with seriousness. We take it with joy. It doesn't mean that we're that it's all seriousness like boredom, but that we that we approach the Lord's table seriously. And, and what we're doing in the Lord's table is we're remembering, we're memorializing Christ's death for us. Now, there's nothing magical that happens in eating a piece of bread or drinking a piece of wine or grape juice. We have grape juice. There's nothing magical in it. They haven't literally changed into uh, Jesus' body and blood, but they're little inanimate objects that point the way to Jesus. And the Bible would say the Lord's table is for those who have come to confess Jesus as their Lord and are, are walking faithfully with him. So you may want to take this time as you may go, I, I know the Lord. I came in here knowing the Lord. And, uh, but you may want to just have a, to take a time of personal reflection and just sort of get, get your account settled with the Lord and go, okay, Lord, I, I think I'm holding this part back in my life and I want to give it to you. Or I've got this sin I'm struggling with and I want to just say again, I, I want to repent of that and, and follow you in faith. But it's, it's right for God's people to sort of prepare themselves as we, as we partake of the Lord's Supper. And as you do, the path to preparation is only through the cross. It's nothing that you're going to work out yourself. It's only through embracing Jesus. And that's what we want to invite you to today.